0: everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Arch Study of You. Um, I am your host, Cameron Gilmore. Man, I am excited for this one. Let me tell you something. I have used this man's um, book. I have used his planner. I'm super excited. You can see it in his background. You can see it up here on mine. Uh, Focus. We're going to open it up and get after it. Craig Smith is an amazing, amazing individual doing amazing things. Um, We welcome him on the show, the Arch Study of You. Craig, thanks for being a part of this project. Um, let me give you some background. Father of three boys, uh, he's the owner of Greatest Day Mindset, focuses on marriage, motivation, and mental wellness. We'll get into that as well. He's got a podcast, Greatest Day Podcast. Um, we are going to talk about his life-changing journals. So before we get into uh, really heavy into this, Craig. Take five, seven minutes, uh, introduce, kind of tell us a little about who you are uh, growing up, uh, your passion, and then obviously your why.
1: Thanks. Yeah, man,
0: this is platforms like
1: this, first of all, like just thank you for what you're doing. Uh, being someone who started a podcast a few years ago and have had guests on, I don't do much of that anymore, but it's just a cool place for people to you know, free content out there. Like people can just tap into all these resources. So I'm always honored when someone's like, you're doing something special enough that I want in my space. And I never will take that for granted. So I I appreciate you and and honor you and what you're doing. So, man, yeah. So about me, um, I guess is I've been asked this before and I always love asking the question, but I hate being on the receiving end of the question. But I've really drilled at home lately too, like just thinking about it. Um, So who am I? I'm a powerful man of God. I'm a loving, I'm a patient, I'm a present father and husband. And I work every day to try to show my family I love them in all ways I can. Um, I'm a faith spreader. I'm a love giver. I'm a hope dealer. And uh, I'm just here trying to help people break through the barriers of their lives and, and create what it is and who it is they want to become. That's really what defines me. Um, and I, you know, the, some of the thoughts in, in going into podcasts like this and just discussions and, and fun conversations like this really make me go back in time and think about who I am and where I came from. And uh, man, I came, nothing about what, what I'm doing in my life suggests where I came from. Nothing says I should be doing what I am right now. Like I shouldn't, I shouldn't necessarily have an introduction like you gave me. I shouldn't, n- nothing about my past says, oh, this is, this is someone who's going to have a book. He's going to, he's going to create this life-changing journal that people are going to buy from all over the world. And they're going to send in, him messages that say, wow, I can't even believe the way this has impacted my life. And, um, cause I came from really not much of anything. Um, a single mom, she, uh, she got pregnant from this relationship she had very short-lived relationship and decided that that person shouldn't be in my life. Um, good for her. And she dealt with her own shame and confidence and, uh, getting kicked out of the church she was a part of and all these things. But, but really I look back now and it's like, all of that stuff has completely shaped me who I am today. And I, and I know we're going to get into all this stuff about that. Um, but coming from nothing, I, I think I've always had this mentality inside of me. That's like, we got to hunt for the good. We got to find the good in what's happening. Like we have to, because what else do we have? What else do we have? And I didn't really recognize that till I was an adult doing all my own work, right? My, my education to become a therapist and my coaching with clients and, and really sitting back and going, yeah, all of this stuff really shaped me who I am and it's a, kind of always been there and I didn't recognize it as a kid but now I can see it so it's really cool.
0: Wow. Wow. Okay. So I have to I have to because you brought it up take us back to the I don't know have you ever talked to your mom about that decision of not allowing this individual in your life. What is what was that decision? How did she come to that she tell you this is why I made the decision this is what brought up to that decision. And how has that, that decision, obviously we'll get into it, but tell, take us back to that decision first. And then I'm going to have a follow-up question um, to, to that. But what was that decision like for your mom to say, you're not a part of this, of his life?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like I'll make sure my mom listens to this and uh, she gets to hear this, my praise for her, but it's, um, <clears throat> she, I did the math one day, probably like 10 or 12 years old. I'm like, all right, September 17th. That's my birthday. I was two weeks late. Let's go back nine months from there. That's about January 1st. Hey, mom, what was going on around on New Year's Eve of 19? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she was like, we're not talking about that. We're not talking about that. Like, we're, not, we're not doing that. I was like, I'm not stupid. This is, I got it. I got it. And she had she had, I just talked to her two weeks ago about this two weeks, two weekends ago. And maybe I'll expand on that too. But um, I have helped her really kind of clear some of that shame up in over the years and just being like, mom, you're, you are exactly what I needed in the way I needed it to become the man I am today. Like be proud of the decision you made. There's zero shame based on this thing. Zero. But as a kid, I saw this box, had all these records in it and Oh man this okay there's a name on the box and it was my biological father's name i didn't know that until i started to make connections of his mom wrote a book a children's book and i had a copy of it i see her name cuz she gave it to me she was more involved in my life than than he has ever been right and it was only right. very brief gave me a stuffed animal gave me a book that she had published a children's book So I see her name and I'm like, oh, that's my biological grandma. I see the name on the the box of records and I'm like, that's, that's him. That's my dad. And so I asked her about it. And that's very uncomfortable for someone who hasn't dealt with those feelings. Yeah. And now here comes this kid, this 10 or 12 year old. I don't remember exactly when, but saying, Hey, what's up with this? tell me about this name. What do you know about this name? You know? And I, I remember that conversation and then it, and then it went away for years. Um, but as we, as we talked more about it, as I became an adult and I got married and then I'm starting to have my own kids, like I'm bringing it up again with her. Just like, just teach me. There's no judgment here. Just teach me about where you were at. Right. Um, and it was very much that, like it was impulsive. It was more of just hey, by the way, you can get pregnant after one time. (laughs) I'm like, all right, thanks mom. Um, And that was, it wasn't a relationship. So there was no reason to just by default, make one out of it. Mm -hmm. I was like, well, good for you. That's awesome. Uh, And so that's where she came from in that decision. And uh, that's a powerful decision. And I don't think she was probably a very solid or uh, powerful person at that part of her life, but she said, you saved my life. And so I don't regret
0: a minute. And I said, neither do I. That's amazing. I love that. I love that. Because you you dive into the space of, look, there's, there's, I don't care where you are in this world, right? Anybody who becomes a, 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 has a child or becomes pregnant, you know, at, 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 whatever age, right? There's always this stigma around, oh, you, what did you do? Like you came up from a great family. How could you do this to your family? Or, well, I mean, your, your mom was a single mom. Your parents were, you know, separated. Of course, if you just kind of follow suit, Right. And this this mindset or this stigma in the world of if you got pregnant at, at whatever age and you became a single mom there must have, something must have been wrong you must have done something wrong or you didn't have the right upbringing and and just spews over into not only the, to, to the, the person right typically it's it's the woman right because the man just kind of disappears and then the children are become that byproduct and they feel that right they feel that. Oh, uh, I mean, I know, I, I know I'm accepted, but I can feel it from other people like, oh, you're oh, okay. I get it. You can do the math. Right. So let me ask you this question. How then, how did your mom kind of mold you into thinking past that or, or not feeling like you were less than because your mom was a single mom and you probably had friends that had both parents and they were, you know, they saw this loving family and this nurturing family. And they're like, how did you get, how did your mom help you get past that? You're, you're good enough. You don't need this, the, ter- the uh, stereotypical look, but we can build this together.
1: Yeah. You know, I, I don't think she did. I don't think she knew how. I don't think, because she didn't feel the worth within herself. She didn't feel that for many years. She's, she's an amazing woman, um, always has been, but it shows now but I don't think she did. And there's a really cool study and I don't know all the details about it. It's been a long time since I was uh, in the school part of my, my profession, but the ACEs study adverse childhood experiences, I think is what it's called. And from that study, if I remember right, nobody be coming after me with the, the details of this study, but it's all these, it's all these like trauma factors, these risk factors of children growing up, you know, you're poor and you don't have religion or spirituality and you're a single, come from a single parent home and you live in this kind of neighborhood, all all these factors. But what was shown is it only takes one or two to kind of offset all of that stuff. One or two really positive um, people or role models or protective factors, what we call them, to offset some of those really heavy negative ones and she was the oldest of 17 kids yeah yeah 17? all you all you listeners <laughs> pause that rewind yeah yeah you heard me right it wow. wasn't a glitch she was the oldest of 17 and which meant I had aunts an aunt that's two weeks older than me and I've got a brother who's five years older than me so the second he was she was born. She was already an aunt to my brother who's five years older. I mean, it's crazy stuff. So she's the oldest of 17. I got all these uncles and some of the older aunts and uncles have kids that I'm in school within the same grade. Like we, so I've got, I don't think it was my mom directly to get back to this question. It was, it was distraction and it was being with these uncles. It was playing sports. It was gaining confidence in my physical abilities as they grew. It was, it was just getting on with life. It was like, we don't have, we're not going to stop and pause and like be down about my reality. Although it was always on my mind. I'll be honest. I would see parent teacher conference and I'm like, here's my mom. Oh, and your dad. I don't have a dad. What? That's no, no, no. That's just my mom. You know, like, so it was always there a part of me and I would see families and it was like, oh yeah. Okay. Back to life. Right. Like, like get on with it. So um, I never really just stopped and paused and, and let it really impact me in a negative way. So it was less of a direct healing and like empowering and more of just a get on with life, let's go.
0: I love that you said something very, very important, right? It was the community, right? You hear this, this saying all the time it takes a tribe to raise an individual. And, and literally, you were a byproduct of that tribal essence, right? Oldest of 17 kids you know, aunts and uncles that are basically, Hey, I'm in school. Who's this? Oh, I mean, that'd be kind of weird, but this whole tribal community came together and rallied together to build you and shape you and mold you to who you are and where you are today, which is, I'm telling you unbelievable. So let me ask this quote, how then did you not allow the circumstance where you came from dictate where you are today?
1: Oh, I love it. That's a great question. Um, again, I think it's looking back and we're pretty powerful individuals like humans. We, we can do a lot of things that we don't actually know we're capable of doing without knowing that we're even doing it. And so it was, I think it was just one, I didn't know what I was missing because I never had it. So I wasn't caught up on like my dad left me and now I don't have him anymore. It's like, I didn't have it. It's me and my mom, the end let's go. Right. Like, so I think part of it was, I was never looking back at something that I was, that I was yearning for because I missed it. So it was just, I mean, what else is there? Well, so then she did marry when I was eight years old and um, that guy was trash. That guy, that guy was not A role model of any sort, except, Hey, here's all the ways you should not ever live your life and treat people. Um, so he may have been there for a few years, but even then it wasn't anything that like changed me or helped me or pushed me. It was always just like, wake up and do what you have to do to get through today. It was a very survival kind of mindset. And, and again, I never really faced it until I was like a young adult and like had my own marriage and, started to become a therapist i'm like man i should probably look at some of this stuff i don't know if that answered your question but um no. it was just kind of like when you don't know what you don't have
0: you just this is your reality and you just keep going with it no and you hit on it beautifully right you you you're, you're not sitting there looking over anybody can remember the old um 10 to 2 man taylor right you remember that old mm-hmm. show and there's his neighbor barely looking over the the you know the fence yeah, it's not about it. it the saying, "The grass is not always greener on the other side." You just didn't know what you didn't have because you never had it. And I think growing up as kids, there's this falsetto of, "Man, I can I can scroll through and see what everybody else has. I don't have it, so I'm gonna build my wall or build my shell around. Well, I don't have it, so this woe is me mental, this attitude of woe is me, and." And you're like, I didn't know any better. I, I didn't know it. I didn't have a dad. I didn't have this typical family. I, I had this massive tribe that kind of helped mold me and shape me. And I think that is, man, that is fantastic. I'm just glad that you, you recognize that and now are a beacon for a lot of people. So dude, let fantastic. me add this.
1: Yeah, sure. let me add this one. And then whoever's watching or listening, like, yeah, write this down write this down and post it and you read it every day and like really drill this into who you become just because it could have been different does not mean it would have been better just because it could have been different. It doesn't mean things would have been better for you. Yeah. I could have had a dad. He could have been there. She could have decided. I don't think I'm not even close to the man I am today. If that's true. And probably for worse, I don't know who knows. But just because things could have been different, whatever your
0: situation
1: is, it doesn't mean it would have been better.
0: Bad, deep, deep. Look, if you're listening, push pause, write it down, laminate it, put it in the bathroom, put it wherever. That is that is fantastic sound advice. So let's let's now transition from you know the the, the growing up, you know, as a child where you are today. I was listening to uh, listen to your podcast. And I want to touch on two of them because it's a phenomenal podcast. You guys need to go listen to it. It's great. The first is an episode 214, right? You entitled it, you don't need more, you don't, you don't need more motivation. You need better reasons. Please expand into that a little bit more of why the title and wh- how did you come up? How did this come about of, you don't need more motivation. You, ju- you need better reasons.
1: Yeah. The one of the biggest questions I get as a therapist and and a coach and like just working with couples and relate and and individuals is, man, Craig, how can I be more motivated? Hey, how do you stay motivated all the time? What are you doing to be motivated? And uh, I'm like, all right, we just gotta, we gotta take this to the, the podcast for a second. You don't need more motivation. You don't. Listen, if motivation were your were your best friend. You would not stay friends with that person. They don't show up when you need them. Motivation's not like cheering you on, waiting, you know, ready to high five you out the front door. They're not like <laughs> on your worst days there to pick you up. They're not, they're, they're fleeting. Motivation is fleeting. It's so fake. It's such a lie. Um, but if you've got a reason, if you've got a reason, then you can get moving. And, and sometimes it doesn't even matter what your reason is. Uh, today I'm doing it so I don't die. Like I worked in, in substance abuse rehab for a long time and it was like, I, I literally was told if I keep drinking at this rate, I'm going to die. Not me personally, this is the people I'm working with. Right. Is that a pretty good reason to quit drinking? Yep. Are you motivated? Hell no, I really want to drink. Why don't you have one? Cause I'll die. Oh, that's a good reason. You know, and the same thing goes. So if it changes day to day, then it changes day to day. Motivation, we feel like we always just have to we got to stay motivated. we got to stay in that place. And it's, and it's not like all the reasons of my upbringing, all the reasons of like, I'm not, I'm not letting my kids have the same kind of problems I had. I'm not like, we're going to upgrade our problems. I'm not going to avoid problems. I don't want to free them of problems and struggle, but let's upgrade their struggles from what mine were. That's a pretty good reason to keep doing what I do. That gets me up in the morning, not motivated, Plenty of times I'm not motivated to go to work, but I got a good reason because my mortgage is still due and uh, my kids are playing club ball and that's
0: expensive and some pretty good reasons, but not motivated. So that's what that's all about. Uh, Love it. In fact, actually, you said this during the podcast, you go into the mindset of find your reason, right? Once you have reasons, you won't need motivation. You will have purpose. Oh, yeah. Tell us Tell us the difference between, and you kind of alluded to it a little bit, but this purpose-driven as opposed to motivation-driven. I love this. I love this imagery. So please bring us into that space of purpose, purpose-driven as opposed to motivation-driven.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing that changes people is, is um, and we've talked before, but is, is that emotion. The thing that will drive someone to like create actual change in their life is having this emotional response to it. So in all of the, you know, I see you've got atomic habits back there. I've got it right there, right? Like other of other these like change books and these like high performance books, they all, they all say some of the same thing, which is um, attach yourself to the feeling you're going to have from the behavior and you're gonna be more likely to go after the feeling. You'll go through the steps not because you're motivated or you want to go through the steps, but because you feel like a purpose of why you're doing that thing to feel the feelings that you're chasing. That, that's what that whole purpose driven kind of life is about that purpose um, chasing the purpose rather than relying on your motivation is I believe what I'm going to get out of what I'm about to do. And I really believe in in what I'm about to do that will, that will drive. And I'm going to because I can do that. I'll push through the unmotivated days. I won't rely on my motivation because it's a liar. Right.
0: So how, take me, I. how do you develop, how do we get into that space of people helping people understand a purpose, right? Because most a lot of lot times I hear it from people, like I, I just don't know what my purpose is. Like my purpose cannot be, I wake up, I go to work five days a week, work 40 hours a week for 40 years of my life so I can get a, a so someone can tell me how much I'm worth at the end of 40 years to retire on. And this is what I get to live on, right? And th- that's changed. That was probably great. I mean, my dad was, my, you know, my dad's almost well, almost 70, right? That's kind of the mindset, right? You go become part of a union. So you're safe and you're secure. You go to work, you punch you punch a time clock and you're safe. The purpose has changed. Purpose yeah. has changed. How do you help or how do we for- inspire people to get purposeful about a living a life?
1: Yeah. The- I'm looking up at my whiteboard right now in my office. And uh, I wrote this today for someone that I saw before our interview. And it says, go where you are celebrated, not tolerated.
0: Say say that again. I'm a little slow. I'm a little slow. Say that again.
1: (laughs) Go where you are celebrated, not tolerated. You want to find some purpose in life. Put yourself in an environment, a marriage, a relationship a business, any kind of pursuit where you can celebrate the people on the other side and you feel celebrated. That'll that'll light your purpose up, I promise. Anybody, pause right now, look in your life, where you're sitting right now. Do you feel celebrated or more tolerated? Well, then you're not going to find your purpose. If you're just sitting in a place where you're constantly, it's just a level of tolerance that has to be offered today just to get through. Your purpose isn't in there. The purpose is where you can be celebrated, where you can celebrate others, and you can feel, again, feelings, right? I know I'm a therapist. I know this whole feeling thing is, but it's that. It's about the emotion.
0: People attach themselves to something emotional, an event in their life that is emotional, right? Like, um, What's that Disney movie? Oh, oh. man, I forget. But there's the core memories, like the anger, and the, there's a sad... My kids will be like, Dad, that's what it is. But it's inside out. Come on, inside dad. out. There you go. I know, I'm <laughs> Terrible. I'm so bad. But it's that emotion, right? It's that purposeful feeling that I feel. Uh, I'm being fulfilled, right? And that's I love that. I love that. I'm gonna. I'm gonna go back and re-record or re-listen to that because that's such a powerful saying. What have you? What feedback do you get when you help people discover their purpose? What feedback are they giving you? Like, let me, oh, Craig, you're the greatest. You saved my life. Or now I actually have a focus and driven. Well, what is that process like? What is that feedback you're getting by helping people discover their true purpose?
1: Yeah. One of the most recent feedback I got, which it it empowers me, right? Even just doing this work with people, I'm lifted up. You reaching out and having me on here and me having to, dig in a little bit to to think about me helps me. So helping people actually is a self-fulfilling thing. I'm like, I know you think you're here for me to help you, but ultimately it's a selfish thing. I'm just kidding. But um, this person said, you know, chasing that feeling that I want to have at the end of the weekend. I did it finally. And I'm excited about Monday morning. I've never said that in my life. That's what this person says. I've never been excited about a Monday in my life but I I went after like this sense of fulfillment I actually have a worksheet I put I put a lot of my clients through a fulfillment worksheet uh my balloon theory of life maybe we'll talk about it but um yeah that was the feedback it was like wow this is a really cool feeling I chase fulfillment I I had some celebratory moments not just tolerated another weekend of like let's get through it and I'm actually excited to get up in the morning. I mean, who doesn't want to be excited about getting up in the morning, especially on a Monday. Right. So that's, that's a pretty cool thing when you can um, go after this fulfillment, which I love that word. I think we need to use that word a whole lot more when talking about, you know, what's helping, what are we after, you know, purpose aside, you know, motivation, all these things. I want a fulfilled life, not just happy because there are happy people. They're not fulfilled. But fulfilled people, they're, those are some happy people. And happy people wake up on a Monday going, what am I grateful for? How can I get going? What can I add to the world? Like that's
0: that's what it's about. Man, man, it's so true. Like that fulfillment, right? That I I know a lot of people that make a ton of money and they are not fulfilled. They're like, man, I could go find more, I need to make more money and then I'll be happy. No, you won't. I know people that I mean, my parents are, you know, my parents are in the educational system. Right. And, and they, there are teachers that just love to teach. They don't make a ton of money. I don't care who you are. If you go the educational field, you're not making anything. And they are some of the, they, they are some of the happiest people that I know it's because they're living that fulfillment, that fulfilled life, which I think is fantastic. I think it needs to be shared more about that fulfillment. So I want to talk about another, another, podcast that I listen to that's fantastic, right? It's called Creating Boundaries, episode 198. I love this statement. It says, the ones that have the hardest time with your boundaries are the ones that benefit the most from you having none. Now, let me read that again, okay? Because I, I love this statement. I want you to expand and, and talk in more depth about this, but the ones that have the hardest time with your boundaries are, are the ones that benefited the most from you having none. Please explain, expand what you meant by that and give us, give us that insight.
1: Yeah, that's. Boundaries were a new thing for me and it will be for all of us. We've always got to update our boundaries. And once we do that, it's going to change some relationship dynamics in your life. It's going to change. I mean, I work with a couples a lot, right? So just a quick example, like um, we're going to go with the stereotype here. We're going there. So don't get, <laughs> but, don't get butthurt about this. But the, uh, the physical touch-driven man um, is too handsy for his wife. She becomes empowered and is like, hey, this is great, but not not in the way you do it. So no more, no more. Like you don't just get to do this and wherever and whenever you want, just, he is going to have a negative response to that because he no longer benefits from the lack of the boundary that was there. Now the boundary's up, which is on my personal space and my body. And, and now he's going to have, now he's the one who's going to react different to that. He's going to have the problem with it. She's not, but then it starts to create these, uh, these, hard points in our relationships so that's that's just that's just an easy one to go to but it goes for anything right it's like um even family relationships and i've had this too um where it's like you know we will no longer be attending that that thing with the family like we're not going to go to that anymore it just doesn't align with and and there's all sorts of noise like what you can't you can't not show up to that you can't but the people who are being offended, the people who are hurting the most—they're the ones who are benefiting the whole time anyway. If they really truly cared, they'd be like, "I didn't know that that was causing a disruption in your life. I'm sorry for that." Yeah, you shouldn't come, but they're not saying that because they're only thinking of themselves. They're only thinking, "This is going to make me look a certain way. This is going to make me feel a certain way, me." Because boundaries, really—that's what it's about—is if the people who respect them, they got no problems. It's because they honor it. They honor it. So yeah, people will start setting boundaries physically, emotionally, maybe with your time, you protect your time a whole lot more. I'm getting, I'm getting way, way more into that. You know, as I get older, my kids get older. Um, my business is getting more established. It's like, nope, I got to have more protection of my time. I think some of my clients aren't going to like that too much. There's going to be some pushback. Hey, wait a second. I thought we could meet it, you know, late at night. Well, we could, but not anymore. And And they're not going to like that because now it it inconveniences their lives right right um i have a tendency to ramble so just put your hand up and cut me no. off if i keep
0: going no That's no what no be, no because healthy boundaries are is what we need right people that I mean, look at the victim right the victimizer and then the hero like i mean we got to create some kind of boundaries and at a young age if you you, we aren't taught how to create boundaries we're not think about i mean I you know, don't talk to strangers. Oh, okay. Who's a stranger, but yet, Hey, you need, you know, be friendly, but you said not to talk to any strangers. Right. Yeah. Well, what happens? You know, you know, you could get kidnapped. Oh, okay. But who's going to kidnap? Like, what does that look like? What are these boundaries, healthy boundaries? Cause there's really unhealthy boundaries and there's really Really healthy boundaries. And I love that. Let me ask you this question about family boundaries because I, you know, we hear a lot about this, you know, families that are really in each other, intertwined in each other everybody's lives, right? And you gotta be part of this and you gotta be part of that. And oh, you gotta you miss this, and oh, well, you must you must not like the family anymore. Like what the heck? How just give us one or two key things that someone can do to help start to create healthy boundaries with that type of a family mindset and what can they do when they start to feel that when they feel like they are the ones that are causing the problem, they feel that guilt inside, right? Help us understand. Take us into that if you could.
1: Yeah. The, uh, and you said one of those powerful emotions, which really keeps us from setting boundaries is that, that um, anticipated guilt. I don't want to feel that. I'm, I'm the bad one. There's going to be confrontation when I set a boundary. There's going to be... Um, There's going to, there may be rejection, ultimately meaning abandonment. And I don't want that. Like that doesn't feel good to me. So I don't set the boundary. There's going to be, like you said, there's going to be the guilt. There's going to be, maybe with this boundary, my safety is going to be jeopardized. So no, I'm going to just, right. I'm going to keep that. Or in that marriage example I gave, if I set this boundary, maybe my husband leaves me. Maybe. Maybe I end up losing my okay. So maybe I shouldn't do that. I'll just let it keep happening or whatever the scenario is. So how we can do it is one of the most underused skills of humans, and that is difficult conversations. We've got to just start having conversations of like, and early, right? Even with the kids. What what is what let me ask you is uh how many kids do you have? Uh, I have 10. 10. Have, kids. Have, yep okay um one of the most triggering words for most dads or even moms that a kid can say is is what i know you're on the spot just go with it
0: yeah um for me it's like i can't
1: Ooh, okay me too that's i can't we don't don't say that in my house that's we don't do that
0: i can't is worse than the f word to me (laughs) because because you're limiting, you are already going in defeat. Yeah. You are already going in with yes. this limiting belief of, well, "I can't do it." Yeah. No. I did.
1: A, I did. Speaking of podcasts, go back and look through somewhere in the podcast. I did a podcast titled "I Can Figure This Out." Yes. <laughs> so, doing homework like with, with one of my sons, I can't. I'm like, okay, we got. You can't say this anymore. Instead, how about we say. I don't know, but I can figure this out. I can figure this out. So that was the change of the, the language in that. But speaking of this whole boundary thing, the, no, no is like a really big, oh. mostly is a trigger word for most people mm-hmm. because once again, it's a boundary being set by the child and who's being, who's being, you know, who's having the most reaction to it. The one who doesn't benefit, clean your room. No, who got hurt? The parent put your shoes on, no, who got hurt, the parent, right, those are the ones who have the hardest time with it, because it's them who's being negatively impacted, but then we tell them to go out into the world, and if this is happening, and if that's happening, and you got to protect your body, and you got to say no, but then we wrong them in our own house, when they say no, how confusing, how confusing is that, right, like, you never say no to me, you don't say no, Don't you dare say no. I've said those words, by the way. I've said that, like, don't say no to me. But then I want to empower them to be able to say no and have their, their, so I think there's some identity kind of like confidence confusion when we send wrong messaging. So it's like, just let's have some conversation. What do you mean by that no? Son, talk to me. Talk to me, what's happening? Why the no? And I probably can understand a little more if I just listen and then it's like, oh, I get it. Okay, so how about we do it in this way? But back to what I was saying was, we got to have uncomfortable conversations. That's how we begin to set boundaries, because ultimately it is going to feel, we've all been taught that, it is going to feel like rejection and abandonment. It is going to feel there's some guilt, maybe some shame attached to that. It is going to feel confrontational, which not many people will say is a positive word. It's not a negative word. Confrontation is great. We need confrontation. Yeah. Uh, so we just got to start by that, like conflict confrontation, the word no, all these things. This is okay. Let's just learn more about it. And we got to talk.
0: So this, I mean, you bring up a very good point because the word no is, is like a trigger for everything, right? You know, did you do your, did you get your, do you chore? No. Really? (laughs) All right. Did you, did you pick up your room? No. Got it. Hey, uh, I got my stuff done. Can I get my, can I get my cell phone? No. You not get your stuff done. Come on. So help help us then. I got a question. How then do we help with self identity? Because listening to you, it's this this child now has like I'm being told no here, but I'm being told to say no in the world, and this has got to create some kind of self identity struggle. You know, when do I say no? How do I say no? I can't say no to authority figure because then I, it reverts back to when my parents were saying no as a kid, but now I'm older and I can't say no, but I should say no. Give me one or two, give me, give us one or two things that we can do to help empower our children in those times where we need to do right the right type of correction and not the wrong type of correction.
1: Modeling, like live it live the message you want your kids to to leave your house with you know my oldest is 11 so i got a little bit more time to uh either benefit or hurt in my parenting (laughs) ways um and i might not even be qualified to be answering this question but if i'm saying did you pick your room up and then he comes into my room and it's a disaster i mean really this is, this is a little tough, right? Like I'm going to enforce the heavy hand here and uh, put the foot down and in inside out. Right. I hope he's going to drop the boot or whatever it is. In that <laughs> I'm going to do it, but he's watching me. He's watching me. Hey guys, you got to put your dishes in the dishwasher after. Yeah. There's my cup over there on the counter, you know? Mm-hmm. So it begins by like work on your, one of the best parenting tips I ever heard was live your life and let your children watch. And learn. There's some danger in that. So you better live your life well, but always do always doing your best, right? Like, oh, I understand. And then you have more compassion, by the way, if I can have that for myself, then when I'm asking this stuff of our, of our, you know, my kids, then I can have a little more compassion and understanding. Be like, oh, I get it. I get it. How about by the end of the week, we got that room tidied up. Is that fair? You and me both, buddy. I'll get mine. I'll get mine tidied up. You get yours. And then we're going off to do this fun thing together. So it's it's this collaboration. It isn't this like power struggle or control kind of house. Yeah. Um, but I think we mo- I think that's the biggest thing in, in everything is we're just we're just
0: modeling. Man, man, I love that. Just model mo- model the life you want your children to live by the way they see you live. I absolutely love that. Um, I'm not gonna remember that at all. So I'll have to go back and re-listen to what I just said and I'll make sure I send it to you. Yeah, yeah, I want it. That's good. The, the, the reason why I chose these two episodes is there's there's many of us, right, that wish we could set boundaries with people, whether it's in family, out of family, couples, parents, whatever it may be. Better mental empathy is is what I'm hearing. Better mental empathy towards ourselves, right? First, how can we be empathetic with somebody if we can't be empathetic with ourselves? those that are feeling not accepted or less than or, or those that, that, you know, we, we try to model after something else. So let me ask you this, power of journaling, right? The power of journaling, right? How does journaling, and, and what better person to answer this than someone who preaches and teaches, and we'll open this up in a second, but how does journaling empower us?
1: You're speaking my love language now. Um, If we were on like, you know, a a live video on Instagram, I'd have all those heart eyes popping up right now. Um, I love it. And I love it. I Journaling is, and go back to boundaries, right? Like my my kids more than often will, than not, will wake up and see me with my journal writing in the morning. Or at night, my wife's like, hey, did you get, are you still going to journal? Like, it's just kind of built in now, right? So that's a boundary that I haven't even like had to enforce. It's just an expectation that's been set. Um, But it's that time again, modeling, right? It's that, it's that moment of saying you are worthy of taking some time for you. Like you deserve some, just that protected time for you and your thoughts and, and whatever's inside that. And that's why I created this journal anyway. It's not just a book with open, you know, pages and lines, like there's prompts in there and there's there's some words in there that are, that are teaching you and pushing you in a direction. Uh, and it's, it's all about the science of the brain and, and teaching that. But the power of journaling is just that. Um, it's a wiring process inside of the mind that like anything else, any other programming we're doing in life, um, it's an intentional programming to start to hunt for the good inside yourself and outside of yourself in, in the world.
0: What, so what's the difference then with journaling of, I'm going to record it on my phone. I'm going to type it on my keyboard. I'm actually going to take pen to paper and write it down. What, what is the difference? What, what has the biggest impact to you, as an, to me as an individual, to as a child of those three things and which of those three things would you recommend?
1: any of them, if you're doing nothing, just start, just, just start, start, start speaking your heart in some form, type it. Great. Speak it into your phone. I've done that. Um, but there is such a power in coming back with that tool in your hand and you're ready to write. I mean, think if you, if we write the sentence, Cam, you are a phenomenal human how how, how that took me a split second to say, if I'm writing it, I'm probably still writing it at this point right now. Yeah. So by writing it, I'm slowing down my thoughts. I'm slowing down the process of my own mind. So now I'm formulating it in my mind. I'm moving my hand in a way that's writing the word. I'm reading it as I'm actually writing it to make sure I'm getting it the way I want to say it. And now it's there and I can look at it again. I just got it five times more than speaking it Or than typing it the process itself i engage so many more senses by by writing it and then here's the coolest part um and i've got mine right in front of me now i get to go back i can go back and i go read all this stuff i can go read this i can go look back on february 5th oh that was a good entry wow that was a that was some good insight i like that i'm gonna borrow that again today i needed this pick me up today I don't know where I was thinking that day, but that's a good one-liner. I'm going to use that. You know, it's so it's it's there forever. We've got it. And here's the here's the for me one of the coolest parts. And my my best friend and and uh, coach and mentor who died before he even knew or I knew he existed. So it's all just made up in my mind. Jim Rohn. He he's the great like he's the greatest. He's, anyway, he has he has said. The thing that you're going to leave behind that's going to be the greatest gift to your posterity it's going to be your journals they're going to open that up and here is a literal story and and how is it, how much is it filled so um anyway your your thoughts i know you, you've been trying
0: to jump Man, in no Just, no I look there. i i i was i knew this i knew this was going to be so good i knew this was going to be so impactful because in my mind, I had always thought, right? Like your hands, like my hands, when you when you hold your hands up into the sky, right? It, your motions and everything, it reaches all the way through. It pushes out through the fingertips, and that's the last place that it leaves. But also, when you're reaching your hand, you're also it's two. It's a two. It's a dual direction. You're pushing out the bad, but you're welcoming the good. When I take that piece of, when I take that pen or pencil, whatever, a crayon or whatever it is, and I'm writing it on that page, I'm pushing my thoughts through my fingertips. And as I'm writing it, I am seeing the affirmations or I am seeing the negative, or I am seeing the positive, or I am seeing anything that is up here is now on, now it's etched in stone. We're not old school, but we're etching it in stone. And I, look, my journal is all over the place at, at best. There's parts when I'm like, oof. my kids read this and I'm like, my dad said what? And they're like, yeah, yeah. Cause there was the time, and I know what that time, but then they'll be like, oh, I see why he, oh, I, I see this transformation. I think what you just said about journaling is so It's so true. You get to go back and relive those emotions, right? We talked a bit, a lot about emotions, that emotional attachment that I have to my journal can do more than any other thing that I can think of as far as reading or being motivated or having that pathway. But that journal entry from me, man, man, you hit it out of the head with that. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for, diving deep in the journal and hey, hey, validating what I've been thinking about for the longest time. So